Happy New Year, everybody. We've made it. 2024. I know this gets said in a lot of churches on the first Sunday back, but it really is a new season for us here at Local. Um, we've been through a pastoral transition. If you've not been around for the last um, hundred million days, it feels like, um, but no, for the last three months, um, we've been through a transition. My wife and I, Alex and I, if you don't know Alex, she's there, and this is me. I'm here. Um, just so honored to be able to run with you all in this next season. And we really believe that God has more for us. That it's been a phenomenal uh, five years, I think it has been, Dal, since the church has started. Is that right? Five years? Six years? Dal, 2018. So I think that's like five, six years. Yeah, there we go. Um, but we're just so excited because... I really, truly believe that the best is yet to come, and um, that his ways are higher than our ways, and uh, I just want to thank everybody just being so open and uh, so willing to what God has been doing here at Local within the last transition period. I'm losing my voice a little bit, praised a little bit too hard. Can that be done? I don't know. So I'm going to try not to yell and try not to exasperate my voice. Um, but I believe that we're going to see many people come to know Jesus in the coming years. I believe that we're going to see many people come to the health that many of us have found in Jesus here at Local. I believe that we're going to continue to grow together. And I believe that we're going to continue to have fun while we're at it. And our vision remains the same as it has been for years. That it isn't for a big church, it's for a healthy church. And healthy church is one made up of people pursuing God, abiding in Jesus, walking in the Holy Spirit, and leaning into community. Pursuing God, abiding in Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit, and leaning in to community, to church, to one another. And next week we're going to start a series called Abide on what it means to, to, to be close to the Father. To be a church that's healthy means that we've got to have a relationship with Jesus. And we, we, we got to put legs to what we believe when we come and sing these songs on a, on a Sunday afternoon. That it's not just a Sunday afternoon thing. It's a 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. For the rest of our lives, he wants us to walk with him closely. And his word says that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. And so we're going to talk about that more next week. Um, and many of us have found spiritual health here at Local. We've heard testimony after testimony and story after story of his healing, report after report of his restoration. I have personal testimony of spiritual healing over these last three, three and a half years here at Local. And I thank God for all that he's been up to. He's been so, so so, so good to us, hasn't he? And the cool thing is, is that he's not done yet. That he's just getting started, Anna. He's just getting started for you. He's just getting started for Darren. He's just getting started for Ben. And I know that sounds cliche sometimes because we have started. You know, we have started. But the point is, is that there's more for us. 
there's always more for us in God. That there are more chapters to the story. If you have breath in your bodies today, if you are here in this place and you are alive and well, it means that he has something more for you. More testimonies that need to unfold. More miracles he wants to unleash into your life. More laughs to have with one another. More life to share together. More in him to discover he's not finished. Yeah, I think that deserves, uh, yes, thank you. And so before we dive into the abiding series, today I have a sense that the Lord really wants to just raise the watermark of faith for us as we come into the new year, as we start this new season, as there's a, a new playing field, as it were, ahead of us, a fresh start as we always come to the new year. And like Tyler alluded to, you might have resolutions, you might have like new health goals and whatnot. But I believe that God really wants to, he wants to set some faith ablaze today. He wants to reignite some things that might have kind of maybe dwindled in the past. I like to start my new year with a bit of a, 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 a spiritual audit, a personal sort of taking stock of my life, a self-assessment, and ask myself in all the areas of my life, whether it's my, you know, my life with Jesus in prayer and, 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 the, and the spiritual disciplines, whether it's in community and church, whether it's with my, my marriage or my parenting, whether it's with my work, whatever it might be, I like, to, I like to ask the question, am I being a pioneer or am I being a settler? Am I settling into the status quo or am I, am I being a pioneer knowing that there's more for me in each area of my life and that I don't need to slow down, that he has more life in each of those areas, each of the buckets that make up my life, he wants to infiltrate more so and show me his goodness, his kindness, his love and his grace, his mercy, and help me grow into maturity, into the men and women that he's called us all to be. A pioneer is, is one who's passionately pursuing God, fueled by faith and hope. They love God wholeheartedly. They follow the Holy Spirit's leading. They are growing and maturing. They're breaking new ground. They believe that God has more for them. A pioneer understands that the race isn't finished yet. There's more in God to discover. The only thing that they've settled is the fact that they're not going to settle. The only thing that they've decided is that they want more in God, that there's more to press into, that there's more ground and adventure and things to discover in him. Whereas a settler is one who frankly settles, who sits back, slows down, stops short maybe, maybe give themselves to complacency rather than maturity, start coasting rather than growing. They give themselves to feelings over faith. Passivity over passion. Rather than being a holy ghoster, they're a holy coaster. What? Look at that on the roller coaster of this spiritual journey. <laughs> they want comfort. It's not bad. You know, life can be good. You can settle in the good. But are we settling in the good and sacrificing the great and the more that he has for us. 
They'd be like what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And we've heard this, especially if you've been a part of a, a youth group at all. You've probably heard this a number of times. Don't be lukewarm. Settlers are people who are lukewarm. In Revelation 3, Jesus speaks to the church of Laodicea and he says, I know your deeds. And he's saying like, I know you've been doing stuff for me. And it's good. It's great. But you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Complacency sets in and the passion that once was there subsides over time. Familiarity in our spiritual journeys breed a spiritual passivity. And as I read this, it seems like Jesus leaves no room for believers, for people like you and me, to be passive. To, he, he wants us to make a choice. You're either going to be hot or cold. Lukewarm, to me, doesn't sound like an option. Nobody wants to be spit out of God's mouth. Like, I don't want to. That's weird. <laughs> I'm a very visual reader when I think about this. And as I read through the scriptures, I find that complacency doesn't create great results for the people of God. And it's so easy to coast in our, our spiritual journey, isn't it? It's so easy to turn up on a Sunday and go through the motions and just do what we think is right without stopping and asking ourselves, you know what, God, what do you have for me? Like, how can I be more intentional? How can I press in more? And it's true of every area of life. In jobs, we can become so familiar with the tasks and the projects at hand that we just coast from paycheck to paycheck. And in relationships, familiarity creeps in and sadly thousands of marriages die because couples lose the spice that they once had. And Jesus carries on, or previously he actually speaks to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. And he says that they were doing all the right things, but he has one issue with them. In Revelation 2, he says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. All that's great. But you have, ex you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. Awesome. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Amazing. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Some translations say you forgot your first love. And for some of us, maybe 2024 presents a fresh invitation to come back to our first love. To reignite the passion for Jesus that we had at the start. We used to joke when we were in the UK, we, um, we would see, we, we, were, uh, we led a church, uh, church plant in a town called Tamworth. And we were seeing people saved and coming to know Jesus that had no background of faith at all. I mean, we had the whole gamut. We had a witch, an atheist. Uh, like, just give me all the different types of people in the world. We had them all, and they were getting saved. Amazing. They met Jesus. And when those people got saved and they met Jesus, they were, they were stoked. They were on fire. They were telling everybody about how Jesus changed their life. I don't know about you, but when you came to know Jesus, he turned your life upside down. He flipped the script. I, I had to tell people about it. 
I was passionate. I was zealous. I was excited. And we used to, we used to be like, we want to keep the new Christians away from the old Christians. We want to keep that zeal. It's like, just like, and we didn't really do this, but it's like, you wanted to like keep that, that spiritual zeal. Because like once they got to the old Christians, they're like, well, you've got to um, add some wisdom to that zeal. And that's true, you do. But like not at the expense of the zeal, the passion of the, of the love that you have when you fall in love with somebody for the first time. And yes, it grows and, and faithfulness comes. But that, that passion, is it there? And maybe 2024 presents us an opportunity, an invitation to reignite the passion for Jesus that we had at the start. That zeal, that sold outness for Jesus, if that's a word. Is he not worthy of everything that we've got? Didn't we give him our whole lives? Do we believe that he can still move in power? Last year at camp, Tyler spoke the first night if you were at camp and he spoke about and he encouraged us to, to break up the fallow ground in our life. That the ground, the, the, the areas in our life that maybe were dry, the soil in our life that maybe has kind of got a little bit cracked and dry because it's not been tended to, the, the, the areas that maybe have become familiar or we've become passive in. And for some of us, it, this might be a great opportunity for, for us to break up the fallow ground of our lives again. Not just a hoorah-rah on a, on, a, on, a, on a night at camp. And then sink back into just coasting. But if we want to see new life spring up, if we want to see new things planted and grow in us, if we want to see revival in our city, in our nation, then we need to break up the fallow ground daily. Allow him to break up the dryness and the dry areas of our life, the, area, the areas that we might just be coasting and be become familiar with in God, and allow him to pour a freshness on it and to break up the fallow ground in our lives again, to come back to our first love, to turn up the heat and do away with a lukewarm life and to burn continually. Tyler mentioned some of us are doing what's called the shred, which is going through the Bible in an insane amount of time. And one of the things that you read in the Old Testament is one of the jobs that the Levites had was to keep the temple lanterns lit all the time. The temple lamps had to be lit, and they had to keep them lit, and they had to keep the oil in there, and they had to keep it burning, and burning, and burning continually. So that the lights in the temple never went out. The lamps never went out. And, and I wonder if there are the, for us, in our heart of hearts, the lamp that, that we have, the passion in our hearts, I wonder if we've let it flicker a bit. And maybe the oil is start to run a little bit dry. And, and maybe today is an opportunity to fill the lamp. To run to the Father again and again. And it's our job, just as it was, was for the Levites, to be those who burn continually. In the Old Testament, there was these memorials that they used to set up as well. And the Israelites, it was either a, like a memorial or an altar or a monument. And the Israelites, whenever God did something miraculous or brought them through something or maybe there was like a big great 
um, like win at war in a battle, God would ask them to set up some rocks and make a monument so that, that anybody who saw the altar of rocks or stones would know that God did something that day. It was a reminder or a testimony so that they would never forget what God did in that moment. And we find a guy named Joshua in the Bible, he does this. And he does this when he leads the Israelites into the promised land for the first time. If you've read the Bible or you've seen, you know, Prince of Egypt, Moses brings the Israelites away from the body Pharaoh and they go through the wilderness for 40 years because they're moaners and groaners and they know that there's a promised land that they have to get to, but they never quite get there because they're moaners and groaners. And God's like, hey, you got to deal with that, and then I'm going to bring you into the promised land. So then Joshua rises up once Moses is dead, and Joshua has the, the great pleasure of leading the whole nation of Israel into the promise that they've been waiting for for years. Like children, like moms of, like children's children, like moms, the moms of the moms of the moms were hearing about this promised land. Like this was like a big deal. And we come to this part in Scripture in Joshua 3 and 4 where we have this account of Joshua about to go into the promised land and what stands before them is the river Jordan. And, he, and, the, and God says, go into the river with the Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence of God and as the Ark of the Covenant comes into the middle of the river, I'm going to part the water. The river's going to stop, and you're going to be able to go in to the promised land on dry ground. It was just like they saw in the Red Sea. And as the, as the altar comes into the river, the water parts, and they all come to the other side into the promised land. This is a big day. They finally made it. And before the waters came back into place, God instructs Joshua to grab 12 stones from the riverbed. And he says, take these 12 stones and place them on the side that you've crossed into, the bank of the river, the bank of the promised land. And I want you to set them up so that when people see those rocks, your children's children's children, you can say what God did in bringing you through the river into the promise that I had for you all these years. This is something I want you to remember. This is a place of testimony. This is a monument, a memorial, an altar that I want you to set up. And we read in Joshua 4, he says, so Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. This is after they've, they've, they've parted the water parted and the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. This is a miracle. On the tenth day of the first month the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gigal on the eastern border of Jericho and Joshua set up at Gigal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he'd done in the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. 
He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This was a memorial and a testimony. This was a time when God moved in their life. And how many of us have had those moments where God has moved powerfully in your life? Where you have a testimony or a memory or a story, a set of stones that signify God did something in my life and I want to remember it for the rest of my days. Praise God, hallelujah, amazing. But it wasn't a camp. It wasn't their final resting place. You see these declarations, this testimony, for some of us the place of health that we've come to know in local it's a declaration, not a destination. There's more for us to discover. It's not the ending place. It's not like, hey, I've come to health. Amazing. That's wonderful. we got to praise God. Hallelujah. Remember those things time and time again. The scriptures tell us to do that. Forget not all his benefits. Proclaim them from one generation to another. But it's not the final resting place. Those testimonies should be the fuel in our faith for what he has next for us. And he has done so much for all of us. To not settle and make camp around the stones because there's more for us. In Joshua 13, when Joshua gets old, it says that when Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, you're growing old and much land remains to be conquered. There's more land to take in your life. There's more to discover in God for you. If you're in this room, there's more for you to discover in him. Isn't that cool? Like, there, it's never ending. There's more love to experience from him. There's more power to see him move in our lives. There's more grace to experience, mercy. There's more of a close relationship in hearing his voice maybe for the first time or hundredth time or closer than ever before. Joshua stepped into the promised land, but he didn't linger there. He knew there was more land to take. And it might be, for some of us, obvious you know, we're believing for restoration in family or relationships or physical or emotional healing, financial security, peace in situations for the land that, that, that he has for us, the more that he has for us. It includes all that stuff. But today, deep down in sort of my gut of guts, in my spirit, I sense that the Holy Spirit is poking at areas where we've arrived maybe at a good place and we've got comfortable not just the places that we know like, oh, you know, like, I'm, I'm seeking these things because, you know, they're obviously off. There are things maybe in our life where we've come to a good place, the promised land shores, the river bed of the Jordan, and maybe we've set up camp. Maybe we've started to coast. When God says, turn around, there's much land to be taken. I sense those areas that maybe have become complacent, where we started to coast, where the fire has dimmed, where we've settled our lives around the first or second or third set of stones, comfortable on the banks of the Jordan, thinking we made it, this is it. And his invitation is for that pioneer within you to rise up, to wake up, 
and see the more land that he has for you. The destiny wasn't the testimony. The testimony propelled them into their destiny. The testimonies of health that so many of us have here at local aren't the end of the story. They are the fuel for faith in what he has ahead of us. Pioneers, not settlers. There's another story, if we can get the, the keys to come up. There's another story in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, that is sort of the start of the story of Abraham. And we, we meet this guy named Terah, who's Abraham's dad. And it says this, Abra, or Terah took his son Abram, who later became Abraham, his, son, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the land of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. It sounds like, like, it's like one of those scriptures you can kind of like pass over. But as I read this, I was just struck that Terah's destination was Canaan. And he was all the way over here, and he knew that that's where he, he wanted to go. That's what God had for him. That was the right place, the Canaan. But what happened was he got to Haran... And he just, you know, this is good enough. This is all that I want to experience. I, I know I meant to go there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle here. He set out for Canaan, but he settled in Haran. The invitation was to go there, but they settled here. He had passion for that, but got passive and stopped early. You know, if Tara were alive today, it would it'd be like, I was trying to like think about like, if it, like what is it that could be like a, an easy illustration like where he stopped short? It would be like if he was a big Marvel fan and he loved the Avengers and he knew that there was a movie called The Endgame, but then he just decided to stop at Age of Ultron. Or maybe he got to Infinity War and he's like, I know that, like, this is good. Like, the Infinity War is awesome. It's a great movie. It's good. This is amazing. I feel, like, fulfilled in, 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 in what I've seen. But it's not the fullness of what he could receive from Kevin Feige. There was a fullness there that he didn't get to discover. His son Abraham, however, does get to the end game. It says in Genesis 12, the very next chapter, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they accumulated, and the people they lived, they, they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And what does it say? And they arrived there. He set out for Canaan, and he, and he arrived. I look at my life, and I, and I have to ask the Holy Spirit, where can I be less like Terah and more like Abram? I wonder if there are parts of my life where I'm believing God for something, maybe for years. I set out with great intentions. I know that he's called me to something. I know that there's more in him. I know that there's more to discover. But just life takes over. We know what that's like. This isn't a, this isn't a, like a beat you over the head kind of thing. This is an invitation for something amazing, by the way. This is exciting. There's, there's total grace here where we can run to the Father, like we heard earlier. But I, I look at my life and I say, I wonder if I've stopped short. I wonder if I've just settled on some things that I shouldn't have settled on. Are there harans in my life that I've settled in? Am I still camped on the banks of the Jordan River when I should be turning around and seeing there's much more land to conquer? A dream or aspiration that I've given up on? A job that I've settled for even though I had big aspirations for doing something different? Gifts and talents and anointings that I've let dry up in my life? Maybe I've let my passion for the Lord go lukewarm. And I wonder if he wants to reignite something in us today. I wonder if he wants to remind us that there's more for you past Haran. Paul joins with these guys and he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation patient in his sufferings because like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me brothers and sisters I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it this is Paul this is the big Big wig apostle. And he's saying, I mean, this guy, he had a vision of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Like this guy was seeing miracles, sign, and wonder. This guy had, 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 had been seeing towns flipped upside down for Jesus. And he says, there's more. There's more. I've not attained the more that he has for me. I press on. I keep going. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of this today is an invitation, not just for stuff, not just to do things more for God, 
But honestly, this is an invitation to be closer to him. To run to the Father. To come to his arms open wide. To say, God, I know that there are areas in my life where I've let go dry. I've become passive. I've become complacent. And I, I'm sorry. I repent. I want to know you more. I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you, of being with you, of coming back to my first love. Today is a great opportunity to say that you're starting the year by coming back to the love that you had at first. If you'd like to stand with me. We're going to have an opportunity here in a minute. And we're going to we're going to go into, I think, pour my love on you. Is that okay? Switching it up. We're going to have the worship team come and we're going to sing another song together. But as we do, there are people here ready to pray with you. And if there are areas of your life that you feel like have become passive or become dry or become a haran or maybe you're on the banks of the Jordan River, and you say, you know what, God, I want, I want to know you more. Or maybe you, you heard this and you think, you know what, I have forgotten my first love. I've got so busy in, in, in everything that is good. It's like good stuff, but I've forgotten the purpose. And today, together, we have an opportunity to join with the woman in Luke 6, with the alabaster jar. And it says this, so one of the Pharisees asked him to come and eat with him. This is talking about Jesus. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, of oil, of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she became, began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This oil represented a year's worth of wages to her. She gave everything she had to come and be at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus responds to her later on in that, same passage, and it says, you didn't anoint my head with oil. He's talking to the Pharisees. But she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who's this that even he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Like Joshua, there's yet more land to discover. Like Abraham, there's a Canaan ready for you. Like Paul, you can press on towards the prize. Like the woman with the alabaster jar, you can come and pour your love onto the Father. And so as we sing this, if you'd like prayer for any of this, or if you'd just like to take a moment and come out of your seats and come to the altar here at the beginning, at the front here, 
then do so. Start your year. Start your year with him. Start your year running back to him. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, that whenever we run to you, we find you with open arms. That no matter where we're at in life, no matter what seems dry or barren or dead, with one word, with one prayer, with one step towards you, all of that can turn around. That you have arms open wide full of grace and mercy and love. And Father, we say today that we want to start the year as people who come back to their first love. To who it's all about. To realign our lives, to reignite the passion in our hearts again, to lay hold of that which you've called us to, and to consider everything that was rubbish to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. So Father, right now we run to you, we pour our love on you, and we say have your way in 2024, for our lives are yours, you are worth it, in Jesus' name. Amen.